Buckholz, and you're listening to Looking Up with Don. This is the Looking Up with Don podcast, episode number 109, for the week of February 2nd, 2022. The related website for this podcast is donmacholtz.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com, two H's. What's up in the sky this week? As our week begins on Wednesday, February 2nd, the moon will be 4% full. That is a very thin crescent low in the western sky in the evening. In fact, on February 2nd, you may not even be able to find the moon. On that night, the moon also passes south of the planet Jupiter. By next Tuesday, February the 8th, the moon will be half full and setting after midnight. This is a good week to get out and observe the moon. Will you be able to see the International Space Station this week, which for our purposes begins Wednesday, February 2nd through February the 8th? It depends upon where you are located. This week we have seven zones. Well, I sliced them rather thinly. All you need to know is your latitude. Two zones will not see the International Space Station this week. One is north of 63 degrees north. The other is in the southern hemisphere between 10 and 32 degrees south. So between 40 and 63 degrees north, that's Canada, Russia, England, The International Space Station will be in your evening sky for part of the week. That is the first part of the week. Between 30 and 40 degrees north, that's you, Japan, and Turkey. The ISS will be in your evening sky for the whole week, sometimes twice per night. From 10 degrees south to 30 degrees north, that's Mexico, Central America, and the Sudan, and Egypt, and much of India. The ISS will be in your evening sky for the second half of the week. Further south, between 42 and 32 degrees south, the ISS will be in your morning sky for the last part of the week. And south of 42 degrees south, that's you, New Zealand, the International Space Station will be in your morning sky for the whole week, sometimes twice per morning. To determine where it will be in your sky, go to the website heavens-above.com, enter your location, then click on ISS. The moon is now entering the evening sky. But try to get out and see periodic comet Borrelly 19P before the moon gets too bright. It is about magnitude 9. In the morning sky, you can start observing Comet Panstars C 2017 K2. It is about magnitude 11, but it's expected to be around magnitude 6 by mid year. 
All of the comets are plotted on podcast 109, maps 1 and 2, and they are visible right now, but time is running out, so get out and see them. To get the most accurate and up-to-date positions for these comets, go to the website heavens-above.com and click on Comets. There you will find the positions and maps for each comet. I want to share a story about when I lectured to an astronomy club in the San Francisco Bay Area. I believe this was in 1990 when I talked about comets and Comet Austin. This club had an older woman whose, whose name I do not recall. She was one of those who ran the club and was well-respected by the group. As I approached the door to the meeting hall, she met me there, unplanned, I suppose. I think she was going out as I was going in. She wore a dress with many comets printed on it. All the comets were the same, and there were many dozens of comet images on her dress. She showed it to me and said, may you find this many comets. I thought, wow, that's a lot of comets. I figured the only way that would come true would be like, like if I, like E.E. E. Bernard in the 1880s, saw a fragmented, unnamed, and unconfirmed sungrazer comet in strong twilight, and it consisted of many pieces. Years go by. On August 13, 1994, I discovered my eighth comet, now known as Periodic Comet Machholz II, or 141P. Within weeks, amateur astronomers using CCDs found four, then five pieces of the comet all along a line. And deep exposures of the main comet and fragments showed a trail of debris. That line of debris was made up of dust, gas, and hundreds of rocks and small boulders. To me, that was the fulfillment of the pronouncement made a few years before at that meeting. Now for a change of subject. The Messier Marathon started in the late 1970s and is still going strong. That is the effort to find all of the 110 galaxies, clusters, and nebula cataloged by Charles Messier more than 200 years ago. In late March of each year, it is possible from mid-northern latitudes to find and observe all 110 objects in one night. I was one of the inventors of the Messier Marathon. I've written two books on it, and I've completed more than 50 Messier Marathons in the past 40 years. Are there other marathons which can be done? Yes, there are. You can go for all of the planets in one night. We did that on this podcast uh, about a year ago. I suggested seeing all the planets in reverse order and in direct order, and then I went out and did it. You can also put together a list of galaxies and clusters to see. In 1981, I extended the Messier Marathon to many more objects. And in uh, April of 1981, I observed 599 objects in one night. This is called the Massive Marathon. 
This is how the massive marathon was invented. I began systematic visual comet hunting on January 1st, 1975. As I swept the sky, I kept track of the nebulous objects that I saw. By the end of 1979, I had over 2,000 hours at the eyepiece and had seen hundreds of galaxies, clusters, and nebula. Now, this is in addition to the 110 Messier objects that I would also pick up. I itemized the objects and came up with 254 that I would more or less regularly see while comet hunting with my 10-inch reflector telescope from a dark sky site. Okay, so now I had 254 objects plus 110 Messe objects for a total of 364 objects. I wanted to extend my list even more. So I did a sky survey and examined more <laughs> than 500 more objects over the next many months. The only rule was that these were to be north of 40 degrees south. This was a fun project, which I did mainly in the evening while my comet hunting was done in the mornings. I would identify and map the objects beforehand and then pack up the telescope and go to a dark sky site and start rating the objects. I still have those lists with hundreds of galaxies, clusters, and nebula. For each object, there was a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So, of those more than 500 objects, how many of those made the final list? 294. Add that to the 254 I already had, and I ended up with 548 objects. Now we add the 110 Messe objects, and we have a grand total of 658 galaxies, clusters, nebula. Being a marathon man, I wondered how many objects I could find and observe in one night. I plotted out a plan in which I would see about 600 of them, the most possible in one night, as the rest of them would be lost in twilight. I decided to do this during a regular Messe Marathon star party being held at my usual comet hunting site of Loma Prieta. Loma Prieta is in the coastal mountain range of the Santa Cruz Mountains between San Jose and Santa Cruz, California. This particular star party was one held by the San Jose, California Astronomical Association. My plan was to search for objects for the whole night, taking a 30-minute break at around 2 a.m. This was a Friday night into a Saturday morning, April 3rd and 4th, 1981. I used my 10-inch reflector telescope. It has a short focal ratio, f3.8, and a wide field of view, 2.2 degrees. My homemade eyepiece gave me 36 power. For this marathon, I attached a thin board to the side of my telescope to hold my maps because every one of those objects and the sequences were plotted on the Atlas of the Heavens which at that time was a rather popular star atlas. The telescope had a pipe mount 
an equatorial mount, and no setting circles. I had to find each object by hopping from star to object or from object to object. On my maps, each object was in a sequence, connected like dot to dot. A sequence, 77 of them, had one through 25 objects in them. Lines on the map went from object to object, with the number of degrees to travel north, south, east, or west printed alongside. That night the weather was clear, and the temperature got down to probably the low 40s. I began as soon as it got reasonably dark at 7.49 p.m. Other amateur astronomers were nearby, but they knew what I was attempting and did not engage me much that night. That 30-minute break that I had planned fell by the wayside as I got a bit behind, so I simply continued on through the night with no break. But by the end of the night, I had caught up, so I was able to find everything that was possible that night. I ended at morning twilight at 4.33 a.m. My final tally was 599 objects. I have often wondered if I had reached 600 rather than 599. What about M51, the galaxy that Charles Messier observed? It actually consists of two galaxies side by side. Well, I cannot count the second galaxy because Charles Messier saw two galaxies himself. So those two M51 galaxies together is only one object. But what about this? M24 is a star cloud, and it has a tiny star cluster inside of it, which is called NGC 6603. At one time, M24 was identified as a star cluster, but in recent decades, it has been seen separately from M24. That is, they are recognized as two separate objects. Well, I did see that too, in addition to the star cloud called M24. And Charles Messier would never have seen the star cluster because it's too faint. So if I wanted, I guess I would be allowed to add that to my tally for a total of 600 objects. But we'll go with the 599 that I originally tallied. That night, in addition to the objects on my list, I picked up six additional objects and that's what brought the total up to 599. Three of them were south of 40 degrees south, and three more were faint galaxies near the ones that were already on my list. So, on that night, I spent an average of 52.5 seconds to find and identify each object. I doubt anyone has done that before or since. Nowadays, someone with setting circles and a telescope that automatically goes to whatever object you tell it to go to would be able to do that. But I found all of these manually. Almost no one finds objects this way anymore. Seven months later, in December of 1981, I went out again and found the remainder of the objects on the list. 72 objects in 79 minutes. That included two objects south of 40 degrees south, 
and five more that were not on the original list, but I saw them along my travels through the sky. So altogether, I saw 671 objects in two sessions. I wanted to do this whole thing again in the spring of 1982 and planned it out. I added seven new objects to my list of 548 for a total of 555, plus 110 Messe objects giving me 665. I planned to do this on a moonless night in late March 1982, but that week was cloudy, so I never did it again. What has surprised me more than anything else is that no one else, to my knowledge, has attempted a massive marathon, manually finding and seeing hundreds of objects in one night. Am I the only person in the world who can and has done this? As far as I know, the closest that anyone has gotten are the supernova searchers in the 1980s and 1990s. They would, I think, manually, not using setting circles, find and visually observe 200 or 300 galaxies in one night, looking for a supernova in these galaxies. Why am I telling you all this? <laughs> well, it is an interesting story. It goes beyond the common hunting and messe marathons that I usually do. But the massive marathon is not a dead subject. For more than a year, I've been working on a book about it, starting with getting pictures of all the original objects. Those pictures are not taken by me. I do not have the setup. Instead, the SLU telescopes gets these images for me. I subscribe to the SLU network, spelled S-L-O-O-H. This is a group of telescopes in the Canary Islands and in Chile that you can rent to take images for you. I now have almost 580 images plus the 110 Messe objects. I have also been doing two more things, adding to and perhaps subtracting from the list, that is refining it. And when I began this back in the early 80s, I kind of assumed that every year it would be good to refine it to still find the best objects. And I've also been re-examining each of the hundreds of objects, and I, I give them a rating from one through five. One is that it's easy to see. Five means that it's difficult to see. This has been very enjoyable, these sky surveys, and I have been doing this on some evenings for the past seven months. I'm nearly done rating all of the objects. This would be a long book with photos of about 690 objects. Some photos have more than one object, so we'll end up with about 500 photos. Now my hang up on continuing on writing the book is this. Should I also include the search sequence maps in the book for those very few individuals who will manually search for them? If I decide to do that, that will require drawing more than 70 new sequence maps based heavenly, heavily on the original atlas of the Heaven Star Atlas, with the lines drawn in between each object 
and the number of degrees to move ne printed next to each line. Then on those maps, I identify each object by NGC number with its brightness and size printed next to the object. When I have made a few of these maps and I've made some samples to see how they look, I do it all on the computer. They seem to be too crowded with writing all over them. There might be an easier way to do this to unclutter the maps, but I haven't figured it out yet. By the way, on a related subject, the Astronomical League has assembled the Herschel Catalog into a group of 400. This is known as the Herschel 400. They have also assembled 400 more objects into a second group, and this is known as the Herschel 400 number two. But I'm talking now about the original Herschel 400. In the 1980s, I took those and put them into marathon sequence order. Like you start with this one and then find this one and so on down the list. I was prepared to do the Herschel marathon one year, but was unable to do it that moonless week due to bad weather. So I have never done the Herschel 400 marathon. I'm sure that neither has anyone else. <laughs> But I still have the star charts and all the objects identified, and I have the search sequence, so maybe someday I'll do the Herschel Marathon. Another project for Don to do. Yes, there is a lot, and I want to get all my projects done. At that time, in the 1990s, I considered writing a book, a star atlas and observing manual for a Herschel Marathon. No one had ever done that before or since. I wrote to the Astronomical League and asked them about it, and, and that ended up killing the whole idea. They said that I had permission to use their list of 400 Herschel objects, but with each book I sold, I had to give them a certain percentage of the gross sales. They said they had a right to do this since they invented the list of 400 Herschel objects. Based upon that, I decided to not write a book about the Herschel Marathon. So, in the end, no one benefited. Someday I will do the Herschel Marathon and talk about it on this podcast and have plenty of maps and notes to share with others who might also want to do a Herschel Marathon. But it won't be published in a book form unless they change their tune. To recap the podcast, what's up this coming week? Get out and observe the moon in the evening sky. And don't forget the comets, too. See the International Space Station. You have been listening to Looking Up with Don, podcast episode number 109. For February 2nd, 2022, I'm Don Mockles. Once again, the related website for this podcast is donmockles.com. That is spelled D-O-N-M-A-C-H-H-O-L-Z.com. Two H's. You can contact me at donthestronomer at gmail.com. Once again, that is donthestronomer at gmail.com. God willing and pod willing, I'll be back next week 
for another episode of Looking Up with Don. While doing research on Charles Messier, I came upon some amazing facts concerning M1 and M57. Can you guess what they are? That will be next week. All that and more. Thank you for listening. See the sky this week. I'll see you next week.